Please join me in the prayer for illumination. Let us pray. God, source of all light, by your word, you give light to the soul. Pour out on us the spirit of wisdom and understanding, that our hearts and minds may be open to know your truth and your way. Amen. Our scripture reading today comes from the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 4 and chapter 20, selected verses. Hear these words. As he walked by the Sea of Galilee, he saw two brothers, Simon, who is called Peter, and Andrew, his brother, casting a net into the sea, for they were fishermen. And he said to them, Follow me, and I will make you fish for people. Immediately they left their nets and followed him. As he went from there, he saw two other brothers, James, son of Zebedee, and his brother John, in the boat with their father Zebedee, mending their nets. And he called to them. Immediately they left the boat and their father and followed him. While Jesus was going up to Jerusalem, he took the twelve disciples aside by themselves and said to them on the way, See, we are going up to Jerusalem, and the Son of Man will be handed over to the chief priests and scribes, and they will condemn him to death. Then they will hand him over to the Gentiles to be mocked and flogged and crucified. And on the third day he will be raised. Then the mother of the sons of Zebedee came to him with their sons, and kneeling before him, she asked a favor of him. And he said to her, What do you want? She said to him, Declare that these two sons of mine will sit, one at your right hand and one at your left, in your kingdom. But Jesus answered, You do not know what you are asking. Are you able to drink the cup that I am about to drink? They said to him, We are able. He said to them, you will indeed drink my cup, but to sit at my right hand and at my left, this is not mine to grant, but it is for those for whom it has been prepared by my Father. When the ten heard it, they were angry with the two brothers. But Jesus called them to him and said, You know that the rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them, and their great ones are tyrants over them. It will not be so among you. But whoever wishes to be great among must be your servant, and whoever wishes to be first among you must be your slave. Just as the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve, and to give his life a ransom for money. The Word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Now, uh, we're uh, in the middle of a series about uh, journeying to the heart of God, which Josh talked about at the beginning. Today, we're moving to stage three. Discipleship uh, is something that, like Josh said, people kind of go, okay, glad we're talking about that. But what we're trying to understand is that discipleship is a process, not something that just happens right away. I'm Anthony Lavodi, for those of you who don't know, and I'm going to try and bring your word today. So... First, I have um, a, uh, a question. <laughs> have y'all uh, ever seen the Disney movie Mulan? Okay, great. Because I wanted to show a clip, and uh, Disney is a stickler for copyright, so I can't. So, sorry that you cannot see it, but 
there's this interesting scene that I will describe to you as best as I possibly can. So there's a captain in the movie. He's just been granted the rank of captain by his father, the general, Captain Li Shang. And Captain Li Shang is given the task of training his troops. And he thinks to himself inside of his tent for a little bit. He says, maybe I can train the greatest troops in all of China. And he goes, no, no, the greatest troops of all time. <laughs> he chuckles to himself. He opens up the tent flap to see his men beating each other senseless, throwing rice at each other, and just all in chaos. How many of you have ever expected something great to happen and then have it all fall apart in front of you? Yeah, okay, good. There are people who know how I feel. I'm glad to hear that. Um, it'll happen, it'll, it has happened before, and it'll happen again. It's the circle of life. Okay, Disney references aside, okay. Um, there are some people who amaze me. They are planners. I don't know if you've heard of these people. They're amazing. They can take all of these things that are going to happen and like say, hey, that's going to happen. And then you're like, wow, I had no idea that that was going to happen. Uh, they're, ca they're called planners in the Enneagram. They're usually called type one. Uh, there, is, there are people who know what's going on. Um, if I walk into a situation where I see people uh, running around like crazy, uh, throwing things across the room. I'm usually at youth group. <laughs> I'm kidding. Y'all are awesome. I'm joking. It's not real. Sometimes, sometimes. Okay, so there's a little bit of that sense of wildness and chaos with the disciples. Jesus maybe has the same feeling. So there's these two guys in uh, Jesus' youth group. Uh, their names are James and John. They are also called the Sons of Thunder, which is a great name for a motorcycle spinoff TV show. Like, I think that would work out really well. So HBO, get on that. Um, the next, uh, the, the, the things that they would probably do to get in trouble as brothers together are probably quite frequent. And they weren't the only set of brothers that were in Jesus' discipleship group. We learned about them in the passage today. So why don't we go ahead and dive in. These are actually two passages that have been smooshed together. This is the calling of Jesus' disciples, the first ones. And then at the end, Jesus heading towards his crucifixion. Now, if we understand a little bit about the book that this comes from, Matthew, we know that the author is writing this gospel to a Jewish audience. And if the audience is Jewish, he needs to make a point. And that point is, hey, y'all, Jesus is the Messiah. Now, there's a lot of messianic language, and I'm going to describe that to you a little bit instead of just saying these big fancy words. So Messiah, or messianic, deals with the anointed one, the king, the one who will deliver Israel from captivity. This is a big deal. Now, in this time in history, the people who are keeping Israel captive are Rome. Yes, good job. You studied biblical history. Love it. Okay, this is good. So Rome is in charge of the entire known world, and the people are just not having it. It's God's people say, we want Jerusalem back for ourselves. So we need a Messiah, a king, a conqueror to bring us back. Talking about the tyranny of Rome is just a bit 
of a hot button issue. This is that thing that they brought up at Thanksgiving dinner that people were like, uh-uh, don't, don't do that. <laughs> Everybody's gonna fight, and oh, now everyone's fighting, dang it. Okay, here's what happens, because I, I want you to keep that in mind. So Jesus, this rabbi, this teacher of what's called the Tanakh, this is the, the Hebrew Bible. So the Torah, the Nevi'im, the Ketuvim, the law, the prophets, the writings. This is Genesis, through Malachi. This is what the scriptures are during Jesus' day. Plus some apocryphal books, but I won't, you know, get you all caught up in that. This rabbi goes down to the docks to find people who will be his disciples. That's strange. Then he says, hey, you who are fishing, drop your nets and come follow me and I will make you fish for people. And they don't go, what? Dude, that's, that's weird. I don't get that. That doesn't make any sense. I can't fish for people. Like, I'm pretty sure I'd get in jail. Like, that's bad. But they don't say that. They go, okay. And they throw their nuts down, and they walk along, and they follow Jesus. Now, this might seem strange to you, or it might not, right? Like, you're, you're a group of people who you have decided to follow Jesus. There's a song about it. You've decided to follow Jesus. And in this day and age, there are a lot of people who are following after Jesus. But in this point in history, people don't really know who Jesus is. I mean, the, the reason that he's a big deal is he's a rabbi. I mean, he's memorized the entire Tanakh, the whole Hebrew Bible. Genesis through Malachi. He knows it. And he's able to teach on it. And so being a rabbi is a big deal. And so when these disciples now leave and become disciples of Jesus, these fishermen leave and become disciples of Jesus, that's a pretty big transition for them. So it makes a little bit of sense in context. But two sets of brothers throw down their nets and follow after Jesus. This is stage one and two discipleship. This is Jesus called me. So now I will go. But where does stage three come in? Because that's what we're talking about today, Anthony. Well, that's where the second half comes through. So, James and John, the sons of thunder, approach with this question. Now, the question that they ask, well, his, their mom <laughs> asks, is important. But what's more important is when and where they do it. They ask this question while Jesus was going up to Jerusalem. Jerusalem, that's a big deal. Anytime that Jerusalem is mentioned, you should go, ooh, 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 that's important, that's important. Because for the Jewish people, Jerusalem is the cultural hub of their culture. Because in the center of Jerusalem is the temple. Exactly. Good. You have studied your biblical history. Well done. This is good. Yes. The temple is seated at the center of Jerusalem. Oh, seated at the center of the city of God. Seated at the center, maybe, of the kingdom of God. This is where God lives, where God's seat is. In this city on a hill that can be seen for miles around. If ever a place were to be God's kingdom, it's going to be Jerusalem. So Jesus is heading up to this 
really important place and has been talking about the kingdom of God for like three years and like 24 chapters. So like, this is a big deal. And the disciples catch wind of this. You can see the little twinkle in their eye as he starts approaching Jerusalem. You can hear them whisper to each other. This is it. It's our time. It's our time now. Jesus is finally going to take over Jerusalem. He's going to take Jerusalem back from Rome. Here, our Messiah, our King, our anointed one. This, this is game time. Let's go. But Jesus turns around and looks at them and says, yeah, I'm going to die. <laughs> sorry. No, he doesn't say sorry. He goes, I'm going to die. And that's that. I will come back. I promise. Three days. Give me three days and I will be back. And you can see the disciples are kind of like, well, that's not uh, ideal. And uh, suddenly, bustling through this crowd are James and John being pushed forward by a force that then steps out behind them and steps in front. And this strong, bustling woman kneels down in front of her Messiah, in front of her king, who is going to save the world and says, not asks, says, my boys need to be at your right and left hand, the most powerful places in your kingdom. And Jesus, Jesus looks at her, at the love she has for her boys, at the confidence she has in their martial prowess. See, <clears throat> the disciples are still expecting there to be an actual takeover of Rome an actual reign of Jesus as king in Jerusalem. They look at Jesus, and they're just waiting for him to get everything in order. The whole dying and coming back thing, maybe that throws a little bit of a wrench in the works, but then, I mean, how cool is that going to be? Look, you, you killed him, but you can't even keep him down. Now he's going to take over you. Ha, huh, try it again. Two, two times ain't going to work. Maybe third time's the charm. Huh. Yeah, they are expecting, expecting that Jesus will dominate and win back Jerusalem for God's people. But Jesus knows that's not what his mission is. Jesus says, it's not my decision who gets to sit where. That's the Father's choice. And then the disciples get all mad. And now, I mean, come on. Of course they're mad. How many of you have been passed over for a promotion before? <laughs> right? So, but maybe, maybe it's more than that. Maybe it's more than just like, well, I wanted to be there. Dang it. Maybe it's a little more. I think the disciples are angry because James and John are messing with this, this pretty picture that they have of Jesus. Come on, you two. If you and your mom hadn't showed up, and like mess with the whole Messiah thing. Like we had a plan. Take over Jerusalem. Jesus is apparently going to die at some point, but then he'll be back and then he can do it some more. And I'm, ah, I'm so confused. You've gone and muddied the waters for us. How many of you have ever had the muddies watered around your perception of God? 
How many of you have been made to think differently about the divine? And when that happened, how many of you got a little emotional about it? I mean, honestly, like, man, I'm mad that I can't keep my framework. I have a feeling that at Chapelwood, probably at every church, that there are some things that we think we know about Jesus without a doubt, but in actuality, they might need to be changed. So Jesus gathers his disciples together who are now angry and confused and flustered and says, you want to be the greatest in the kingdom? You really, really, truly want to be great. Well, it's not going to happen this way. It's not going to happen by you taking up arms until there is peace. It's not going to be finding a tyrant who lords power over the Romans. Get that out of your head. The greatest of all time, the greatest of all time are the slaves. Now there's, the Bible is written in Koine Greek. Uh, that Greek word for that is doulos, doulos. They're ordinary workers, slaves, servants. They do the like household chores. They take care of kids. They sometimes do some education. They make sure that others are fed, <laughs> maybe fishermen. It's not, not prestigious work. Jesus is saying the greatest of all time are not warriors. They're not rulers on high. They're not uh, philosophers or priests or kings or generals. No, the greatest of all time are like doulos, ordinary people who serve where they are. That doesn't mean getting walked all over. I mean, even the doulos of that time, they got paid and uh, they lived. You know, the class structure was different. And like there was the idea that like ordinary workers were lower in the hierarchy than the rulers and priests and the politicians. And good thing that things have changed over the last 2000 years. Jesus is fundamentally altering the perception of who the Messiah is and what it means to be the Messiah. See, this one, this Messiah goes down to the docks to find disciples instead of finding warriors and scholars. Which is, it's funny to me that the disciples never pick up on this. Right? So like, okay, we're going to go up to Jerusalem and we're going to fight. And Jesus is like, no, you're not. Because you're fishermen. I... I picked, you were fishermen and I picked you because you were fishermen. Not because you were, are you not? <sighs> Peter, put that guy's ear back on. Like, like he's not, he's, they're not warriors. Jesus picks them for a specific reason that they are doulos. <laughs> the disciples of Jesus have preconceived notions of the way in which the Messiah ought to act. Jesus doesn't ever break out of that box until he literally goes from like being on earth and saying, well, I'll see you at the second coming and then just like boop up into heaven. So the ascension is where the disciples finally go, wait a minute, where's he go? Oh, <laughs> oh my gosh. Now I get it. It's, it's here. The kingdom of God is here. It's this world. 
Oh man, that was a good one. That was a, I get it now. Okay, all right, here we go. Let's, let's go back to Jerusalem. So they go back to Jerusalem and they share the good news of Jesus Christ. And the good news of Jesus Christ is that there is freedom found in the redemptive work of the Messiah, Jesus, who set us free from sin and death as a whole. Not just one empire. No, our own sins and the sins of the empires for years in the future. But we're getting ahead of ourselves. I think if Jesus is trying to change the disciples' perspective, then now, as disciples of Jesus Christ, we need to change our perspective as well. Chances are that everyone in this room, myself included, uh, do not have a perfect picture of Jesus Christ. Surprise, surprise. We're all human. We're not going to have a perfect picture of Jesus. But we think that we do, right? Because if we believe something, then we don't really want to change it. And if we think differently, then we work to change our beliefs. Josh said it last week. If you don't believe that what you believe is truth, then you change it. So my question is, I wonder how much of what we know about Jesus is actually wrong? Like, okay, Jesus is God. Like, let me be clear. Don't go outside of that box, because if you go outside of that box, you leave Christianity behind. <laughs> like, that's a big deal. So keep, hold on to that one. Leave that, keep that close. But what if our perspective of Jesus is not the only perspective? And as long as we've been Jesus' disciples, we've just twisted whatever words Jesus said into our own framework of who he is. If that's the case, what should we do? I want to give you something tangible to do. I would like you, for however long it takes, uh, to read the book of Matthew. Maybe it'll take you three months. Uh, there's 28 chapters, so you can do it in a month. Uh, you can do it in a week. You can do it in a day. Hey, if you do it in a day, I'll buy you a lollipop. Um, <laughs> it is read through that book. And I want you to take notes on these three things. Ready? One, any time that Jesus says, you've heard it was said, and then says something else, I want you to take notes on that. There's a reason for that. It's because any time that Jesus says, you've heard it was said, he's flipping the script. He's turning the world upside down. Two, any time that Jesus answers someone's question with a question. So frustrating. <laughs> it's like having children. Um, the reason I want you to do this is because when Jesus answers a question with a question, he knows that he is trying to be forced into a box that he will not be forced into. Third, any time he tells a cryptic story or a parable, take notes because when he does that, he is concealing a revolutionary message in a metaphor. Now, why would I ask you to do this on the day in which we are talking about discipleship? Because that's how Jesus' disciples learned. They listened to what Jesus said. And did they have it all figured out? No. Spoiler alert, we're at the near end of the book and they still don't get it. So like, they're not doing too hot. They'll get there, though, and you will, too. It might take Jesus ascending into heaven, but we'll get there. And that's okay. Discipleship is a process, 
not a moment. Knowing who Jesus is and what Jesus stands for is crucial to being a disciple of Jesus Christ. And you can't know who Jesus is without spending time with him. I began this whole thing with talking about subverted expectations, going into one thing and then finding another. When I went to Indiana Wesleyan University as a college student, I went because I knew everything. And I was going to teach those professors a thing or two. Let me tell you, I knew that Bible backwards and forwards. I knew there were 60, 69, 63, 63 books. Yes, 66. Holy cow, Anthony, you're a pastor, for goodness sake. 66 books in the Bible, 39 in the Old Testament, 27 in the New Testament. And I knew a bunch of memory verses, including the Romans wrote, and I bet they'd never heard that before, but they did. And holy cats, was I wrong. I went in as a warrior trying to battle in Jesus's name, and what Jesus needed was a servant. What Jesus means by being a servant is that we are willing to make sacrifices and do the ordinary tasks that no one else does. That's what a great disciple does. They serve. The third stage of discipleship has two major components. One I talked about. You need to feed yourself. You cannot rely just on a pastor to give you the words that you need because the true word is not what I say. It's Jesus Christ. So the third stage is learning to feed yourself. So that's why I ask you to read through Matthew and take notes because that's feeding yourself. The second thing that a stage three does is make sacrifices for the divine purpose. It is a shift away from the self and onto a collective, self and others. You act like a doulos. Stage twos and stage ones ask the question, what's in it for me? Stage three asks the question, what's in it for my neighbor? So ask yourself that question, why am I here in church? Am I here to get or am I here to be a doulos? We're all at different stages, and there's no shame in where we are. But it's a process, not a moment. The message of Jesus Christ is that there is grace in abundance, but without Jesus' disciples offering that grace as servants, no one will know. So read. Ask yourself hard questions, and pray that the Holy Spirit reveals to you the Jesus Christ who breaks out of boxes. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen.